Shalom, everyone. This is Luke Tanner with Zion Hebraic Congregation. This week's Shabbat message is by my dad, Warren Tanner, uh, entitled All Things from Romans chapter 8. Feel free to head over to our website, zionhebraiccongregation.com. There you will find archived Shabbat messages as well as blog posts by my dad. Uh, you can subscribe to those in the subscribe bar. You can also check out our social media accounts through our website. Links are there. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Enjoy. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does lie only away. For soon is the day when we see your face on the mount of your grace and all right, good morning. Glad you're here. Glad you can make it. You know, preparing a sermon is like preparing a meal. You just hope a lot of people show up to eat it. You know, so I'm glad when anybody shows up. I appreciate it very much. All right, so this morning you can turn to Romans chapter 8. So this week I wrote a blog on verse 16, how I know I'm saved. So if, you, if, if you're interested in reading it, uh, it's, it's Romans 8, 16 and on that verse. And we're not going to speak on that verse today, though. All right. So what I want to do is read um, the chapter and then we're going to focus on just a single aspect of it. But I, I just want the whole chapter to be in its context. So if you just follow along with me in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. You can put in Torah or instruction there if you want for those. For what the Torah, the law, could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemns sin in the flesh. And let me just say, there's a great uh, cross reference that I have where it says in verse three, in that it was weak through the flesh. There's a great cross reference saying the same thing in Hebrews 8, 8. And we're not going to turn there, but if you're interested, because you need that in Hebrews to understand that the, the, the quote unquote problem with the Torah wasn't the Torah. The problem with the Torah was the people in relation to the Torah. And that's what our verse says that we just read. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemns sin in the flesh. Why? That the righteousness of the Torah might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally, and you could say fleshly, it's the same idea here. Uh, and if you have, it's somewhere here in the center column, the King James has it. Um, oh, how do they do that? Uh, anyway, I can't, find, but anyway, you can substitute flesh. For to be carnally minded is death. I want to find that. Where is it? 
How come we can never find things? Okay, carnally minded, the minding of the flesh. So let's do it that way. For the minding of the flesh is death, but the minding of the spirit is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the Torah of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we're not debtors to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Pause. So everything up to this point is great news. It's, it's all stuff we want to hear. But Paul now takes a twist, as does the author of Hebrews in chapter 11. You know, great stuff, first half of Hebrews 11. Not such great stuff in the second half of Hebrews 11. Everybody wants their husbands raised from the dead. Nobody wants to be living in caves and dens and off-scouring of the world. So Paul, we have in Romans 8, the first part, up to here, it's like, this is good stuff, no condemnation, Spirit of God dwelling in us. I know I'm the child of God because the Spirit is bearing witness with my spirit. I can't get any better than that. All right, 17. And if children, then heirs. Not only that, man, we, we, what a heritage. Um, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Here's a twist. Takes a turn. If so be that ye suffer with him. It's like, whoa, where's that come from? That we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to, compare, uh, to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. All right, let me stop here. I'm just going to throw this in here. This is all me. But if you have a, a, a more recent translation, probably creatures always translated creation. Not necessarily wrong. I, I did find it interesting, all the major translations that, uh, based on the Texas Receptus that led up to the King James, all have creature for every one of it, even when you get down to verse 22 when it says, for the whole creation, it says uh, uh, every creature, which the, the center column has. So 
I got so intrigued in this because I always battle in my mind, creature creation, creature creation, creature creation. Now, I, I subscribe to the fact that the, the King James translators weren't idiots and they knew what they were doing and they did what they did on purpose because of their understanding of the original languages and the manuscripts that they were able to work with. So it also says in, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, I believe it is, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Creation, still again, not wrong. Now, just something to think on, doesn't matter one way or the other. But I wonder if what's being said here is, and the only reason I probably think about this, because I think Brad alludes to this, and you've mentioned it. Everything that God created is supposed to work in harmony. They particularly use the word creature, but it's also in reference to creation. And I wonder if... When, it, when they say creature, it's, it's talking about, correct me on this because this is where I'm getting weird, that almost the whole universe is living, has life, can be affected by vibrations, right? I mean, am I correct? Okay, so I, I, I just, and it's, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it was an interesting concept that it's not just creation is groaning. Of course it groans. But the creature's groan. The whole thing is groaning. <laughs> you know, Everything from the smallest atom, I guess, or whatever the smallest thing is, to everything in the heavens. I mean, the stars, the trees, it's all groaning. Why? Because it's out of sync. So what's our role? God has made us a new creature in Messiah so that we can be put back into the system like a proper virus and try to infect it all in the right way to bring it into what God wants. That's why we're supposed to bring light into darkness. And, and what we do, and, and if I'm correct on this, yeah, I tend to see myself as this little, who cares, what am I affecting, what does it matter? Okay, looking at it that way, nothing really. But if you put a bunch of everybody's together, then you're either a force for darkness or a force for light. So God's people are supposed to be this force for light. The words that we speak, the living words that God used to create, they bring life. We're supposed to bring life. That's why we're made in a new creation, a new creature to bring life. And so it all works together. I don't know if, the, the, no, that may be not, this may be old news to you, but for me to look at it that way, you know, it's, it's kind of like, and, and maybe, like we call them Native Americans, but well, as I grew up, Indians, you know, they, they kind of have this view of everything goes together, you know, from the, the little lizard that walks in the desert to the, the moon that's in the sky and us that are in it. And, you know, I, I tend to think that these people got this knowledge, sort of knowledge from somewhere. You know, we are connected and I'm way off on this, and it's not even what I want to speak on, but I find this fascinating. So anyway, take any of that and do with it for personal food for thought, okay? All right, so where was I? For uh, 22, for we know the whole creation, or every creature, groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within us. Why? Because we cannot wait for the Adoption, the placing of sons, to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for it? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, 
the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for, as we ought, but the Spirit itself groaneth, uh, I'm sorry, blah, blah. The Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now I have to take you back to this. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, mm -hmm. oh, I always think I can find stuff, and then when I went to go to needing it. <sighs> what verse was I just reading? Oh, groanings. Oh, okay, here it is. Acts 7. Go to Acts 7. Now this is pretty cool. This is, again, just me. I, don't, I, just, I was looking up the word groaning. Uh, to see where else it was used. And I found this in interesting. We're not going to look at this for long, but uh, oh, I can't even find myself where I am. Okay, Acts 7 and verse 34. I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning and am come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send thee into Egypt. I think that's so interesting. So the Holy Spirit, we're told here, makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I just had to think, was that what was going on? The groanings that God heard was this, this intercession that the Spirit was making on behalf of those poor Old Testament schmucks that didn't have the Holy Spirit. Well, I say, yes, they had the Holy Spirit. And I think there's a connection in this verse shows. We pray and, and we're trying to express ourselves. And you, I don't know if you've had it, but I've had it to where I just, I can't get anything out. So I'll just sometimes prostrate myself before God and just, you know, and I, and, and because you can't get it out. So that's a, the, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I think he was doing the same thing for the children of Israel. And God said, I'm coming now. I hear the Holy Spirit's been interceding on your behalf. All right, that's just me anyway. Uh, let's see, 27. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. It's already done. It's a done deal. He, we're already glorified. We are as much glorified as we've been called and predestined and everything else it just said. It's a done deal. All right, 31. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He has spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God? Who also maketh intercession for us? So we got the Holy Spirit, and we have Yeshua interceding for us. Wow. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? This is more that bad news. As it is written, for thy sake we are counted all the day long. Uh, sorry. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Now that goes back to Psalm 44. I was going to read it, but I knew I'd be way out of time. It's interesting. See, it's like, okay, Paul is just breezing along under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing all this cool stuff, and all of a sudden, it's like out of nowhere, his brain goes back to Psalm 44. Well, why? 
And I just find that fascinating because I need to learn how, what, how Paul thinks, what triggers his thoughts, what triggers him to say what he says. Well, something, he's going through all of this, and so connection is made way back to Psalm 44. If, you, if you're so inclined, read Psalm 44 to see this verse in context. It even makes this um, blossom even more that we're reading because it talks about, anyway, I can't get into that. All right, so 37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, there it is again, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. <laughs> oh, so good. Now, it's, it's easy for me to be excited because I've just been hanging out in this chapter. But it's good stuff. Plus the fact that for me personally, getting into Romans 8 without quaking, be, or Romans period, without quaking because of this law issue and what we've been taught about law. And, oh, what's he saying? What's he saying? It's just been refreshing. All right, now, okay, take a breath. Here's what I want to do. I want to look at this one thought, and we're going to focus primarily on 26 through 39. Zeroing in on uh, Romans 8, 28, all things. Okay, we're going to look at all things, but primarily what got me thinking about this is verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, I know some modern translations put God in there, but a lot of them, I think everyone, again, of the base to what rose to the King James doesn't have God in it. And there's good Greek scholars that say, okay, they can see how in, and I looked at the, Greek and literary and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, I think this, whether you put God in or not, it doesn't matter. But all things, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So God is clearly, <clears throat> I don't know where that came from, God is clearly sovereign and providential in our lives. You know, our forefathers always referred to God as, well, lots of times referred to God as providence. Well, because they recognize God's hand in stuff. You know, it's not random. So, all things. This is, I hope I can make this live for you. Um, let's see. Let me do this. Uh, okay, so here's a basic, very basic outline for Romans 8. To me, as I was going through it the last time, it's like I sense some tension. And I think there's a sense of tension in this chapter. What's a sense of tension and, and why? All right, verse 1 through 17a, there's tension between the flesh and the spirit, because he talks about that. If you're in the flesh, you're not of God. If you're of God, you're in the spirit. So there's this tension between the two, the flesh and the spirit, flesh and spirit. And we know what that tension is. We live with that tension daily in our own lives. There's also tension between this present incoherent reality. This is kind of why I've, I parked on that idea of creature. Um, there's tension between this present incoherent reality and the coherent reality that God intended and that we, the whole creation, every creature, long for. Let me say it again. There's tension between this present incoherent reality and the coherent reality that God intended and that we, the whole creation, every creature, long for. There's a tension. We live now. We, we live in this fallen world. Everything is in decay. 
oh, look, if you go on and, and get, read the Henry Morris uh, Bible notes on Romans 8, you'll love it. He gets into thermodyna uh, thermodynamics is it, and entropy and all that stuff, like vanity, the word vanity. He goes into discussion of how everything's just decaying. It's just falling apart. And that's why it's groaning. You know, most of the time, if, if you have an ailment or you're dying, you know, you're not necessarily verbally singing praises of God. You're usually in pain, groaning about something. The whole thing's just in decay. It's going downhill. And so there's this groaning that's going on. This is that tension. All right. So why the tension between this, these and this chapter? All right. In light of this, how do we cope? How do we navigate through this life on our journey to the glory which shall be revealed in us? That's verse 18. And that's what verses 26 and 39 are all about. There's a tension between the flesh and the spirit. There's this tension between this is not what it's supposed to be and we want it to be what God wants it to be. Something's messed up. It's not all coherent. But this is where we are. This is how we have to live until the glory that's going to be revealed in us. How do we do that? Well, that's verses 26 through 39. That's where we're going to eventually get. All right. Let me just give you a breakdown real briefly of verses 33 through 39, though um, I just said differently. All right. Verse 33 through 34, we're justified. <clears throat> that is, there's no condemnation. Back to verse one. Number two, we have intercessory prayer being offered on our behalf. That's verse 34, the second part, then verse 26, 27, 34. Okay. So we are justified, no condemnation. We have intercessory prayer being offered on our behalf. The Holy Spirit makes groaning. Yeshua intercedes on our behalf. Because of both of these, number three, we can conquer through trials. That's verses 35 through 37. And because of both of these, number four, we have victory over forces that are unseen and events that are not under our control. Verses 38 through 39, the first part. And because we're justified, because of this intercessory prayer, number five, we are safe in the love of God. Well, folks, I'm trying, if nothing else, to get you to park yourself in the scriptures and break it down for yourselves. I had to do this in college for uh, a, a book, a, a, a course called uh, Hebrew History. And that crazy professor would make us outline a whole book on our own. I think we had to do the book of Jeremiah. It's like, wow, I don't even think I've read Jeremiah. Then I just was saved. I parked in the New Testament because that's what you're supposed to read. But there's nothing like having to outline what you're reading to get it into you. This is not just for the preacher to do. This is for you to do. And you can do it. I'm no genius. I just come up with this all on my own. I thought it's great. But that's what I came up with. If you, if you want to come up with your own, go for it. But now, this starts to put us in, in Romans 8 under this thing of all things. All things, all things, all things, all things. So when you go over Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good, what are all things? Everything, right? It has to be everything. It has to be the first part of Romans 8, 1 through 17, but it also has to be part of, and, and I'm going to get to that if I will ever shut up, but it has to do with the, the not such good stuff. Now, 
let me, um, let me read something to you about Stonewall Jackson. I came across this in a book I have. It's not from that book, but it's saying the same thing. On uh, Stonewall Jackson, the, uh, the great Civil War hero that died early. But he was evidently, from what I gather, a believer. And his life's verse was Romans 8.28. But how he applied it in the final days of his life. So here we go. General Stonewall Jackson had as his lifetime verse Romans 8.28. He lived in the conscious... This, this is from an article, and if you want it, I'll give it to you. He lived in the conscious reality that God was providentially working out all things for good in his life. General Jackson, after serving for several years as a commander of the Army of Virginia in the Confederate Army, was wounded in action by his own troops. In this wound, he lost his left arm and a few days later lost his life. In his waning days, he was rejoicing in God's providence. In a conversation with an off another officer, he said, you see me severely wounded, but not depressed, not unhappy. I believe it has been done according to God's holy will, and I acquiesce entirely in it. You may think it's strange, but you never saw me more perfectly contented, content than I am today. For I am sure that my heavenly Father designs this affliction for my good. I am perfectly satisfied that either in this life or in that which is to come, I <clears throat> shall discover that what is now regarded as a calamity is a blessing. And if it appears a great calamity, as it will surely be a great inconvenience to be deprived of my arm, it will result in great blessing. I can wait until God in his own time shall make known to me the object he has in thus afflicting me. But why should I not rather rejoice in it as a blessing and not look on it as a calamity at all? If it were in my power to replace my arm, I would not dare do it unless I could know it was the will of my heavenly father. End quote. A few days after losing his arm, General Jackson had a conversation with Lieutenant Smith, <clears throat> in which Jackson said, many would regard them, his wounds, as a great misfortune. But I regard them as one of the blessings of my life. Lieutenant Smith, was also, who was also a Christian, replied, All things work together for good to them that love God. Yes, said Jackson. That's it. That's it. That's all things. He's, he's the hero of the Civil War. They need him. I mean, what he has done, if you've read anything about the Civil War for the South, was incredible. He... He mirrored his battle strategy over, uh, off of the Old Testament and, and many of the battles of Joshua and, and those guys. <clears throat> and so that's what the, the, the tactics that he used, he got from the Bible. Fascinating. So now the God of the Bible, whose tactics he uses, he, this guy shot by his own troops. And he's praising God because all things work together for good, even if I die, even if I lose my arm. As an example of all things. All right, now, one other thing by Barnes, and then hopefully I'll just get through what I have. Okay, Albert Barnes has some good notes on 828, just briefly. He says, and we know, this verse introduces another source of consolation and support, drawn from the fact that in 
that all things are under the direction of an infinitely wise being who has purposed the salvation of the Christian and who has so appointed all things that they shall contribute to it. All things. All our afflictions and trials. All the persecutions and calamities to which we are exposed. Though they are numerous and long continued, yet they are among the means that are appointed for our welfare. Work together for good. They shall cooperate, all these things. They shall mutually contribute to our good. They take off our affections from this world. They teach us the truth about our frail, transitory, and I like this, and lying condition. We lied to ourselves. They lead us to look to God for support and to heaven for a final home. And they produce a subdued spirit, a humble temper, a patient, tender, and kind disposition. This has been the experience of all saints, and at the end of life, they have been able to say it was good for them to be afflicted. Folks, we, we're missing this kind of preaching. This is not come to, the pol- uh, come to church and feel good stuff, but it is for the hungry soul that is searching for the truth of God. Where rubber meets the reality, I'm going through hell right now, God. This can't be of you. Yep, it is. All right, so all things in Romans. Romans 8, 28, read. Just, I just want to draw to our attention without anything to say, really, but to show you the rest of the all things here in Romans. So you have verse 32. He that spared not his own son, part of his all things, he had to die, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Cool. That's great news. All right, 37. Uh, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And then one more time in, in uh, Romans chapter 11, if you turn there, starting at verse 33. Oh, the depth. I mean, Paul loved his own expository here. And he gets to the end of it, and he's just overwhelmed. It's kind of like me with preaching. I put it all together, it's like, whoa. He said, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways. Past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Who, who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. So I mean, in every aspect, there's not one aspect of our lives that is out from the purview purview of God's attention and focus. You don't like your life right now. You don't like your lot life right now. You don't like your boss, your job. You and your mate aren't getting along. Your kids are just wearing you to no end. And, you know, you have relatives that are sick. You hate where you live. You hate the state you live in. Your car is just a piece of junk. You know, it's just like, there's the all things. You live in New England. It rains, I don't know. Seven out of ten days, consistently, no sun. It's awfully hard. God, this is in all things. 
You mean the weather? Absolutely. If we will submit to all things to realize that God in his providence is orchestrating whatever for us individually. Now, what all things work together? What's the real life application? Well, the first one is sufferings. We've looked at it already, but just to bring it to you, the second part of verse 17. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also uh, that we may be also glorified together. See, part of this thing that we sign on for isn't just all sunshine, lollipops, and, and you know, pie in the sky. It's suffering. We signed on for this. You know, the small print that nobody reads. Uh, verse 35 uh, and 36. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? <laughs> Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. We're, gonna, we're, we're killed all day long. Amen. All things, folks. That's how all things are working together. The real life application when we're going through this stuff, it doesn't break us. We might bend, though we're cast down, we don't fall. He holds us with his hand. You don't know that until you've been through the valley of the shadow of death. You know, you want to think, oh, if God just let me win the mega bucks, I would just be so grateful to him. It would just draw me closer to him. No. You know what draws you closer to him? Cancer. Death. Lose a job. Your car engine just blew up. All right, the second thing, the second real life application that all things are, it's, it's that word infirmities, verse 26. Uh, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. You know what I say? Spirit, why don't you just keep the infirmities away in the first place? If you're going to come and help, well, surely you could be preemptive every once in a while. Head them off at the pass. Don't bring them in my way. Nope. He allows it. Why? Because we need to know how the Spirit of God works within us. And he uses infirmities along with blessings. Turn to 2 Corinthians. Now, Paul gives personal testimony to this in 2 Corinthians 5. He uses the same word for Infirmity here in 2 Corinthians 5, and you all know this, and, and I'll just give you the verses. We'll hit them quickly because we've got to keep going. How long have we been speaking? Does this thing ever tell me how long I'm speaking? Not right now. Um, 2 Corinthians 12. Ooh, i got to get there. But this is Paul's personal testimony about the thorn in the flesh sort of thing that's been bugging him. 2 Corinthians 12, 5. So he's caught up to paradise, and he's all happy. And but verse 5, he says, Of such a one... Uh, will I glory? Yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. Verse 9. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in, in your strength, and when everything's going wonderful. No, in weakness, Paul's conclusion, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses. Stuff he's already said in Romans 8. For Christ's sake, for when I'm weak. Yeah, so they ever wonder why people swear like they do. I grew up, my dad said all the time, for Christ's sake. Well, <laughs> I wonder somehow it's a biblical thing in a way that they ended up mocking stuff. Because, you know, verse wherever I was. For Christ's sake. You know, if you think of it that way, oh, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. I'm finally getting it. 
You know, because when my dad, he'd just be mad because I'm not getting her. Oh, for Christ's sake, will you just get it? You know, that's how it was used in my house. You know, and Jesus Christ never in religion. Oh, Jesus Christ, Christ. Oh, Jesus, Joseph, Mary. You know, it's everything about God was blasphemed and just thrown in the trash. How did I get saved? I don't know. All things. You know, interesting. All things. If what didn't happen in my mom's life and in my dad's life never happened, a bunch of things would not be sitting in these pews here this morning. If my dad hadn't divorced his first wife, which I didn't know about, after 12 years of marriage because he didn't want to have kids, and if my mother's first husband hadn't died, I'm telling you dirt, which I shouldn't, and they somehow met together playing semi-kind of professional badminton, and because he was divorced in Connecticut at that time, I think it was one or two years, you couldn't remarry until one or two years, they headed off to Nevada. Established citizenship for six months, got married, bang. Evidently, they got pregnant then, come back. Nine months later, I was born. And I never understood the taint that we all lived under, but back in those days, folks, divorce and remarriage and living together and doing whatever they did was not good stuff. But you know what? As bad as it sounds for them, if they had come to Yeshua, and I think part of that was the problem, they knew the background, but those are all things that worked in their life. I can't explain that. And all the things that worked in their life produced me, which now we have five kids and seven grandkids. Ah, blow your mind. So you know what? That sword of passed in your family. You're here. You made it through. God used it. I am what I am because of it. Just like Paul was who he was because of his background. Just because of who you are and the way you grew up, the family you grew up in, whatever shaped and molded you. Wasn't an accident, wasn't a mistake. I can't explain it. But in the providence of God before the very foundations of the earth, I was going to get saved. <laughs> on top of that, I'm already glorified. Wow. Great stuff. So, I got to get going here. Uh, uh, all things and a couple other familiar verses, and then we're going to wind it down. Uh, all things in a couple of familiar verses. Go to 2 Peter 1.3. This is still, I just want to give you now some good stuff. All right? I told you all the bad, all things. Some good things. 2 Peter. Uh, I don't know if Luke's going to continue on in Peter and make it to 2 Peter, but 2 Peter's good. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. Okay. Simon Peter, verse 1. A servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have attained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things. It, he's given us a quiver full, he's given us a toolbox with all the tools that we need. According as his divine power hath given us a toolbox with everything necessary, Coy's garage downstairs, every tool you could possibly imagine, that pertaineth unto how to fix that car and, get, and, and, and build anything is there. It's there. Think Coy's tools, garage. And just, I mean, it's just like cornucopia of cool. Best part, I don't need to use any of it because he's there. All right. He's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. All right, cool. Uh, 2 Timothy. Go back to 2 Timothy. So that's some good stuff. It's not all bad. 
2 Timothy 1, and you know this verse, great verse. Uh, oh, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm ahead of myself. Go to 1 Timothy, it's like it's not looking right. 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, verse 17. Charge them that are rich, 1 Timothy 16, uh, 6, 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. That's what Barnes was saying. God uses these things to kind of humble us. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. That, don't let that get in the way. But trust in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good and that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. So anyway, he's given us all things, uh, richly, all things to enjoy. Now, as I read that, he's given us all things richly to enjoy. There has to be parameters to that, and God sets parameters. We enjoy all things richly under the same guidelines we use as to how we determine what food God has determined to be eaten. We can eat anything we want, as long as that's what God says we can eat. We can enjoy all things we want to enjoy, as long as God says we can. And so, you know, while you're driving down, to, you're sitting out and you smell that bacon, it just would love to secretly exchange that turkey bacon with the real stuff that we're going to be having with our eggs Saturday night. You know, we're still drawn to that. But what keeps us from going too far? God has set parameters. And you, you all know when you, the toes starting to get into the water and it's getting up to your ankle and neck, uh, knees. And finally, if you've been in an ocean around here, once it starts getting above your knees, it's like, wow, this is getting cold. Do I plunge or get out? Mm, my age, I plunge. I don't plunge anymore. I get out. Go with the kids. They all plunge. Stupid idiots. But God has set parameters. He's given us all things ritually to, to enjoy. Well, that means I can eat whatever I want. That means I can go wherever I want, hang out whatever. Blah, 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 blah. No. Well, how do we know that? Because Paul's talked about it in Romans 8. It's this thing called God's instructions under that bad term, law. It's not a bad term. We just turned it into one because of our misunderstanding. I am glad there's laws in Manchester. Because as bad as it is, if we didn't have cops out there trying to enforce some written laws, can you imagine? It's bad enough as it is. And that's why God's people are bad enough as we are. The last thing we need to do is to start chucking some of the other instructions out the window. We don't like them. All right, now there's one other word. We'll be done. And it is... Uh, verse 38 of Romans 8, for I am persuaded, I love that word, I am persuaded, and he connects it with our word things. I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present, there it is, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, basically anything, everywhere, anything you can think of. I'm persuaded that nothing's going to break through the shield that God has put around me. If it means I get shot by my own soldiers, you know, while I'm out 
checking out the front lines and it's getting dark and, and they don't recognize me and I lose an arm and end up dying, okay, that's, that's part of it. I'm per, that's how Stonewall Jackson could die in peace. He was persuaded that. If I lose my arm and live, God's will. I wouldn't even put the dumb thing back, he says, unless I knew it was God's will. You know, here's something that put us to shame, me too. He purposely avoided mailing a letter that he knew would travel on its way to its intended end if it was going to be traveling on the Sabbath, which to him was Sunday, but they called the Sabbath. He would not mail a letter if it was going to be going through the mail on, on the Sabbath. So somehow he tried to finagle it so that, you know, oh, gee, I'm not going to mail a letter on Friday because however to get it, it's going to be traveling. You know, little stuff like that beats me to death. And we, we smash Christians to death. Okay, try living up to that one. And he is a Christian. All right, so persuaded. A couple positive verses will be done. Philippians 1. Same word persuaded. Translated here differently, but it's the same word. Just because of context, it, 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 it gives a better idea as the way it's translated. But Philippians 1, verse 6. Being confident. That's our word, persuaded. Same word. Being persuaded, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You know, so this connected, persuaded to the things that are in Romans 8, Paul also uses the same word, I'm persuaded. I, I'm just, I'm, I am so settled on the fact that this very thing that God started a work in me, he's going to perform it in me until the day I see Jesus. Great. One more, 2 Timothy. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 1 and uh, verse 12. 2 Timothy 1, 12. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know who, whom I have believed and am persuaded. Same words, Roman 8. I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. He suffers these things because he's persuaded that God is going to keep him in his protection. So let's wind this up real quick. One sentence. No matter what things we go through, we can be sure that God is completing his work in us against that day. That's the message of Romans. You are predestined. You are chosen before the foundation of the world. Surely that God who did that is going to wiggle you through this journey to that final destination. And you can rest assured that all these things, whatever it is right now that is causing you discomfiture and you're not happy about and it's very unpleasant versus the great news you just got or the raise you got or you're getting a new, better car, whatever the good things are, any of it, all of it. No matter what things we are going through, we can be sure God is completing his work in us. And he will complete it until either he receives us a glory through being taken or in death. He's, he's in control. And that's it. All things. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I hope you can make this live if I didn't. I thank you for making it live in me in, in ways I've never taking the time to bother thinking about. Um, and so maybe that's part of what you do in, in the life of Luke as you lead him and me. 
and in all of us as we interact in, in what you've called us to do. Father, help us to just be vigilant in your word, slow things down, try to find out what you're saying to us, because what you're saying to us individually is, is, is part of that life message you're building within us to share with others that will either help a believer that needs it, encourage a believer, or uh, be that witness we need to be to that unsaved co-worker, friend, neighbor, relative. Father, just help us to realize all these things, you're orchestrating them in our life so that we'll be conformed to our Savior, so that we can present Him through us in the power of the Holy Spirit in this darkened world. Help us to be a light. In Yeshua's name, amen. Hey, mighty warriors arise.